What role does the Holy Ghost play in your life? How do you choose daily to follow those promptings that you receive? How has that relationship guided you towards Christ? If you've ever felt or feared that you are not enough, take comfort and courage in knowing that the foundation of true discipleship to Christ lies in those everyday efforts we make to seek the Spirit. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. The traits that I feel that I got from my parents are um, definitely empathy. I think I have the same personality as my dad, and I share a lot of the same preferences, like ice cream flavors. And for my mom, I think I look a lot like her. My mother is from Switzerland, and my father is from Alaska. And so I am the blend of either being really uptight or really laid back at the same time. Some of the traits of Jesus Christ that I hope to build up in my life are more faith and the love, the pure love he has for people. I love to emulate all the attributes of Jesus Christ, but I believe um, that'll be too big for me. But I believe the little thing I can do is to, you know, try and um, do the things that he has instructed me to do. That is, um, have faith in him, repent of my sins, um, um, you know, and continue to endure to the end. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I am your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Jennifer Lane. Jennifer has a PhD in religion with an emphasis in history of Christianity from Claremont Graduate University, was a professor of religious education at BYU-Hawaii for 19 years, and is currently part of the Neil A. Maxwell Institute for Religious Scholarship at BYU. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here. And our special guest for today is Dr. Matthew Wickman. Dr. Wickman is a professor of English in the BYU College of Humanities and teaches a seminar called Literature and Spiritual Experience. He recently wrote a book entitled Life to the Whole Being, the Spiritual Memoir of a Literature Professor. Matthew, so happy to have you with us today. Thanks, man. Good to be here. We also want to welcome our wonderful studio audience. Thank you all for being here. And to the viewers at home, thank you for joining us. Throughout today's discussion, we're going to cover quite a bit, and we hope that you'll join us in the discussion on Facebook and Instagram. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Romans chapters 7 through 16. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, those who follow the Spirit can become joint heirs with Christ, and second, principles of true discipleship. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go for the footnotes segment of the show and dive deeper with Jennifer and Matthew. So as we jump into this first topic, those who follow the Spirit can become joint heirs with Christ. How does that fit in within the context of these chapters we're going to be talking about today? One way to think about what Paul's doing here is he's teaching the doctrine of Christ. And so he's worked through the principles and ordinances of the gospel up to this point. And then we're going into chapter 7 and 8, where we start to see him teaching about um, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so basically we're getting on the covenant path and we're continuing on the covenant path. And this helps us understand, I think, the covenant promises that are characterized by being joint heirs with Christ. 
that we get on the path so that we can move and move as we change and become and prepare to inherit all that God has. Okay. And Matthew, as we talk about the Holy Ghost and, and helping us to become joint heirs with Christ, what are some other things that, that we need to understand uh, within these chapters that Paul is trying to teach? Let me kind of begin with the joint heirs and kind of okay. go from there. Okay. I think because joint heirs suggests a kind of a contractual relationship that what Christ inherits from the Father, we can inherit also through Christ. But that, I think, is really important because that inheritance through Christ is really about bonding us to Jesus Christ. And that bond is more than just contractual, suggests a relationship, something vital and alive and meaningful and powerful and personal. It's about building a relationship with Christ and from that, finding new life in the Spirit. Right, and I think this, this relationship is the key because both chapter seven and chapter eight, he's, he's focusing on building this relationship. He talks about covenant, he compares it to marriage, he compares it to adoption. This, this covenant is a relationship. But I think it's also a comfort because we see this anxiety in chapter six and chapter seven of um, we know that even though we've made promises, so when we make a covenant, we promise to, to be good and to do good, but we're still struggling with a kind of a natural man part of ourselves. Okay. And so I think he's trying to help us as saints understand that we're, we're going to get there. We see here in Romans 7, 14, and it's sort of this struggle saying, I know the things I'm supposed to do and not supposed to do. Um, I know the, the law is spiritual. I am carnal. Um, and then, then we struggle that which I do, I allow not. And that which I would, I do not. So knowing that we ourselves don't always live up to what we know we should do. And this, I think, helps us appreciate the relationship of, of a covenant and then the promise to always have the Spirit to be with us gives us hope and confidence that we can become more and more like Christ with His help. Uh, Matthew, what can you teach us about the difference between being carnally minded and spiritually minded? For me, to be carnally minded um, means to be sort of rooted in things of the world, carnal, fleshly, all right? Uh, things of the natural man. Uh, whereas spiritually minded is to be not that, okay? <laughs> have, have one find on God. For me, what that actually kind of means commonly, typically in my own experience, is when I'm carnally minded, it's not that I have these awful lusts or whatever, it's, it's that I become so fixated on my own life and circumstances, I kind of forget God in the middle of my life. Spiritually minded is to make God a part of what we do. Um, I don't believe that the Holy Ghost only teaches us things that are important when it comes to our religious lives but really that the Holy Ghost's influence can permeate all of our existence. It helps us build our relationships, our friendships, our associations. It helps us in our workplaces. Uh, for me, that's how I experience those two things. Yeah. I'd love to go to the audience and just get some of your thoughts on what are some of the things you do in your life to be more spiritually minded? Cynthia. Um, something that I try to do to be more spiritually minded is to be aware of miracles that are happening in my life, things that happen, I try to um, not take it that for that I did it right, but look to see how God put it in my life. And also I constantly have a prayer in my heart as I'm driving, just kind of having that conversation, trying to find out what he wants me to do, thank him for what just happened. I'm just trying to have that conversation going all day. And what does that feel like when you when you come to that realization that the Lord is watching over you? What does that feel like to you? Um, I feel calm inside and 
Um, like if I'm anxious about something, I feel I can feel that calmness and just peace. Yeah, I think that that really does capture the sort of living with and walking with the Lord mm -hmm. that we talk about the language of scripture sometimes talks about living in the spirit or and that that we choose to to make that happen by the choices to pray always and to to acknowledge his hand in all things, to, to want to live with him is is an invitation. I think once we make the covenant, we can walk that kind of life, but we have to keep choosing it. We have to every day keep praying and keep turning our hearts. And I think the, the sort of praying in the car, I like doing that as well. If I'm by myself, you know, I turn off the music and I just express gratitude for the beautiful day, or I, I ask for help with whatever's on my mind. And to to know that we can have that relationship and that we are inviting his spirit to be with us is, is just a, a way of living. We choose, we opt in, and that's the, the covenant opens the door, but we have to walk through the path so that we can continue to have that feeling of connection that comes when the Holy Ghost is with us. And which leads to what we're talking about in this topic of the, the Holy Ghost, by inviting the Holy Ghost into our lives, we can become joint heirs. I'd love to explore that a little bit more and what it really means to be in joint heir with Christ. Covenant creates a connection and that personal connection, that relationship that Matt was talking about, that binds us to him. And so we can have confidence that he has arrived. He has received all that the Father hath. And as we stay close to him, that if we are, as, again, if children, then heirs, verse 17, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, so that his having been faithful, his having overcome all things is going to, we think, well, I can't do it. Well, by ourselves, we can't do it. But with him, we can, because he has already overcome all things. He's already received and he's promised us if we make covenants and keep covenants through him and with him, we will also be able to overcome and to receive all that the Father hath as we're true to him and faithful. I love what she said. I, verse 16, I think it's an interesting verse. The Spirit, capital S, itself beareth witness with our spirit, small s, that we are the children of God. It's a spiritual witness born to us by the Holy Ghost. I love um, Doctrine and Covenants section eight, one of the great uh, passages on Revelation, where the Lord says to Joseph Smith, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. And for me, that conjunction and is really great. Mind and heart. It's a different quality. It's, it's like, it's a kind of a, a thinking with a depth of feeling attached to it or a way of feeling with kind of an amplitude of idea or thought. That's the kind of thing that can bear witness to us that we are indeed children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's a spiritual witness, which though subtle is distinctive and unforgettable. So would you say that there's a difference between waiting for a spiritual experience to happen and actually actively seeking and living by it? I think that there is. I think though, um, I always like to seek the spirit and then become very still myself. If I am quiet and I listen, the spirit can often answer my question and expand into something else I hadn't considered. And so I like to get to a place in prayer where I can feel the spirit present, then sit quietly and allow the Lord to bring thoughts, ideas, experiences to mind. Those are moments of really profound instruction for me. 
Thank you, Matthew. Jennifer? Yeah, I, I think going back to this idea of being an heir is that was the, the promise and the doctrine and covenants where all that the Father hath. But in the end, we, we often were trapped by our, our sense of material inheritance because in this earth, what we have to pass on to the next generation are things. But what our Heavenly Father wants to give us is a way of being. He wants us to become even as he is and that the Savior is giving us that invitation that through Christ, we can take on that nature, that, that way of being that is life eternal. And so we talk about life eternal being spiritually minded and the way Paul puts it is spiritually minded is life and peace, but it's, it's a kind of life. It's God's quality of life that he wants us to have. And I think we are gradually receiving it as we are choosing to walk in the spirit, as we're choosing to live in the spirit, as we're inviting the spirit, that we're beginning to inherit what we're ultimately gonna have a fullness of. You know, Parley P. Pratt talks about just the, the power of the Holy Ghost in helping us to receive and inherit such a wonderful gift. He says, the gift of the Holy Ghost quickens all the intellectual faculties, increases, enlarges, expands, and purifies all the natural passions and affections and adapts them by the gift of wisdom to their lawful use. It inspires, develops, cultivates, and matures all the fine-toned sympathies, joys, tastes, kindred feelings, and affections of our nature. It inspires virtue, kindness, goodness, tenderness, gentleness, and charity. It develops beauty of person, form, and features. It tends to health, vigor, animation, and social feeling. In short, it is, as it were, marrow to the bone, joy to the heart, light to the eyes, music to the ears, and life to the whole being. What a powerful statement about what the Holy Ghost and what the Spirit can do, especially as you think about what we gain to inherit through the Holy Ghost. Thank you both for sharing in this first portion of the show. And for the audience, thanks again for, for being here and for your willingness to share with us as well. And for you at home, what does it mean to you to thrive spiritually? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. A disciple or discipleship is a follower, follower of someone. I think it means like being a true and faithful follower of someone or something. Discipleship in general means being a follower of somebody. Um, so that is trying to emulate somebody's um, attributes or character. Discipleship in my life means being willing to do the things that God wants me to do, uh, whether or not I knew I wanted to do them. Uh, whether they're difficult or whether they're easy, things that seem to please God and therefore make me feel uh, happy to have done that, to have pleased God. To live that kind of life means um, striving to follow his teachings, being a student of the Savior, and then implementing what I learn in my own life. Um, and I emphasize the word strive because it's not, uh, it's not a matter of being perfect, but trying to progress and do better. The second topic we're going to discuss today is principles of true discipleship. Jennifer, what do we need to understand from the text as we jump into this next topic. Okay, so we've seen how Paul's been teaching the doctrine of Christ in this epistle to the Romans. And uh, we've gotten baptism 
and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And now we're looking not just at getting onto the path, but walking the path. And it can start to feel overwhelming. And so as we look through these chapters and think about all of the things that he's describing of what this journey of discipleship is going to be like, um, they're amazing principles, but um, they can also sometimes feel a little overwhelming. And I think this is where it, it helps so much to, to connect back, to remember that we're not alone and that okay. Christ, through the gift of the Holy Ghost, is with us and will help us to keep moving forward and to keep making changes. Matthew, what do you think? What are your thoughts on, on what uh, Paul is trying to teach specifically to the Romans about staying on that path? There's a couple passages here, a couple of verses that really distill this for me uh, in Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 9 and 10. He lists a bunch of commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. That's the principle that binds together these commandments, this list, and we are able to love our neighbors better, keep the second commandment, as we keep the first commandment to love God, which is what the first part of today's discussion was all about, about the living by the Spirit. So for me, living by the Spirit helps us to love God, love others, and therefore keep the commandments. Uh, I'd love to go to a, a question that we received from one of our viewers, and then I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Hi, my name is Amy, and I am from Lehigh, Utah. In Romans 8.26, Paul talks about how the Spirit can be our guide as we pray. My question is, how do we actually utilize the gift of the Holy Ghost during our prayers to help us develop a deeper relationship with our Heavenly Father? For me, the best way that happens is to learn how to pray in a way that invites the Spirit, then to wait to be prompted further to know where I go in the prayer. What's the thing the Spirit's prompted me to ask about? I'll give you an example. Um, a few years ago, I was praying for someone close to me uh, who had had a couple really rough years. And I was recalling a time uh, when this person, uh, a loved one, had been, had been asking others to pray and fast for her that she'd feel the Spirit more. She was feeling kind of far from the Spirit. Well, the things in her life that had caused her some difficulty did not end um, anytime soon, and she kind of drifted away from the church and from faith. And one morning, I woke up thinking about this and was really quite unhappy. And I prayed, and I began the prayer, was asking the question, why this person? Why wasn't this taken care of? And I could feel myself suddenly far from the Spirit. And I thought, this is the wrong way to ask this prayer. This is the wrong way to begin. So I started again and thought, okay, Heavenly Father, who is this person to thee? What can I do to help? Suddenly, there's the Spirit. Spirit enters, and I knew then how to begin praying. What can I do? Uh, what can uh, others do? Uh, what might she do, etc.? And then suddenly, the prayer opened up. Waiting on the Spirit and following it in the prayer is, to me, the best way to know how to proceed in prayer. You know, what Paul, a lot of what Paul is talking about has to do with helping those that are, sometimes they veer off that path, that what specifically are some things that we can point to within these chapters of what Paul is trying to teach us on how to stay on that path of discipleship. Right. I had an experience, it's been 20 years, over 20 years now, where I was in the car and happened to be listening here in Provo 
to um, BYU Radio, and they were broadcasting a talk that was being given by a general authority, happened to be Elder Eyring at the time, and he was speaking to Education Week. What he said at that time answered this question for me, is like, when I want to make progress and I want to make, like, how do I start when it starts to feel overwhelming and the list looks so long? And so what Elder Eyring taught was where, if you have to start somewhere, because we all have to start somewhere, is to start with the things that are invite this, the spirit. And so rather than just feeling overwhelmed to say, what can I do to invite the Holy Ghost? And for me, it's been choosing to read the Book of Mormon every day, um, choosing to pray morning and night, choosing to attend the temple as frequently as possible, doing the things that invite the Holy Ghost, then keeping those commandments opens up the door to have help to keep whatever other commandments I, I may be struggling with. I would love to hear from the audience. What are some of the things that you do to stay on that path of discipleship? Lydia. Um, I think in my home, I've been really blessed because I've grown up with parents that have not, not like in strict, super strictly, but like they've enforced reading our scriptures daily and saying our prayers morning and night. And so I think since I've developed these habits, it's really helped me come closer to the Spirit. And especially since I've read the, started reading the Book of Mormon again, it's, I, I feel like it's helped me be less unkind and have less contentious feelings toward my sisters and others around me and be more patient like the Savior. <laughs> what a wonderful answer. Wisdom. Wisdom, right? <laughs> to listen you know, to that voice. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and something she mentioned are the things that oftentimes we take for granted, those small, simple things that keep us on the path of discipleship, such as prayer, such as studying the scriptures, the Book of Mormon, um, which empowered her with the Holy Ghost. What are some of the other things that Paul teaches that we can draw some, some really good modern applications with? I like one here uh, in chapter 12, verse 15. Uh, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. It's a passage about, we call it empathy, feeling with those who are there and being present with them and not being so wrapped up in our own lives. We can't be mindful of theirs. Um, one story on that for me, I had a, an experience a few years ago, uh, a couple of years ago where I learned of a man in our stake who'd had some really rough life circumstances. And I tend to get very focused when I'm doing, I'm kind of an achiever, kind of goal-oriented, and I get really wrapped up in stuff. And, but I felt the Spirit kind of impress me, reach out to this man, reach out to this man, reach out to this man, just invite him to do something, be present with. So I said, okay, so I called him and I said, do you wanna get dinner? He said, sure, it was during COVID. So I went and picked up some food, brought it some to him, took some home to me, got him on Zoom, and we uh, went over in Zoom as we ate. Five minutes into the conversation, he says, hey, I'll bet you didn't know it was my birthday. Oh. And I said, uh, you're right, I didn't know. Clearly the Lord knew that, hence the Lord worked on me. And I find that the, um, that kind of principle there made me aware again of why I need to not get wrapped up in my own life and my own thoughts and my own uh, uh, goals and be more mindful of other people, to be present with them in their circumstances and not only worrying about my own. Can I share a quote uh, just based off of what you said? This is from uh, Dieter F. Uchtdorf, um, where he talks about true discipleship. He says, discipleship is a journey. We need the refining lessons of the journey to craft our character and purify our hearts. 
By patiently walking in the path of discipleship, we demonstrate to ourselves the measure of our faith and our willingness to accept God's will rather than ours. Ours is not a secondhand religion. We cannot receive the blessings of the gospel merely by observing the good that others do. We need to get off the sidelines and practice what you preach. And that's exactly what you experienced through reaching out to somebody and how the Lord is able to use you because you chose to get off the sidelines and go and practice what a true disciple really is. Jennifer, do you have a favorite uh, of these uh, principles that stands out to you from what Paul is teaching the Romans? Yeah, this is um, chapter 14, verse 4, is one that just, I was an undergraduate and somehow I read it and it just went through me. And I, I think it helped me because I was, I had a tendency to look around and to be critical of other people. And reading here where Paul's teaching, who art thou? that judges another man's servant. To his own master, he standeth or falleth. And I, especially in the church context where I look around, I say, well, I would be doing things differently if I had that position and I wouldn't be doing what that person's doing. And when I really felt deeply that I needed to stop feeling like these people work for me, this is the Lord's work, they are his servants. And that just, it, it was just transformative for me in discipleship. So why is it that nowadays we see that so many people that once were on that path of discipleship fall away or, or teeter, even struggle just to stay on it? What is happening in the world that, that leads somebody to struggle along that path of discipleship? Many things. I, I think here about President Nelson's uh, remark in his great talk in April 2018 General Conference about Revelation. And he mentioned that in, in, in these days, if we aren't receiving revelation, we really have no chance. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that cause us anxiety and anger and fear and contention. And all these things drive the spirit away from us. Um, and so the only way to sort of remain calm and remain of a peaceful disposition is to seek the spirit which speaks to us softly which puts us in a disposition to be able, I think, to receive instruction from the Lord and to remain strong and committed in our covenants and to keep us close to Christ. Um, it's about having the Spirit with us uh, all the time and not just when we think we have a question or a need. Do you think sometimes we feel overwhelmed that we have to fix everything all at once? And, and if so, what's the solution? What, what advice would you give to somebody who is trying to make all these corrections at the same time. Uh, that reminds me of a quote by Elder Anderson. He said, discipleship is not a competition at all, but an invitation to all. Our journey of discipleship is not a dash around the track, nor is it fully comparable to a lengthy marathon. In truth, it is a lifelong migration toward a more celestial world. His invitation, is a call to daily duty. I think that's one of the best ways to think about discipleship. It's a long-term process, and we're gradually moving our way of being to become more like our saviors and our heavenly fathers. But we, we know we'll get there, but we just have to keep that process of migration moving along. You know, as you're talking, uh, it reminded me of a principle that I uh, was taught and that I have now adopted. And I make an invitation to choose one thing, just one, that you want to start doing, and then one thing that you want to stop doing. 
because sometimes it can be overwhelming when we look at the the all of our many imperfections. Um, what sort of value do you see, Matthew, in choosing one specific thing to work on at a time? Well, for one thing, one thing is manageable. <laughs> you know, right? Uh, if and in my case, uh, it was making sure to always remember to repent in my prayers. In fact, make it one of the first things that I did because doing that invited the Spirit. And once the Spirit was there, I was open to instruction. That was one thing I could begin doing more diligently. Uh, and that then led to other things that the Lord could bring to mind. One of my favorite scriptures from the Book of Mormon comes from 1 Nephi uh, chapter 15, when he's explaining to his brothers about uh, the vision that his father had. And he's talking to his brothers about the river of filthiness and how his dad didn't even see how filthy the water was because his mind was so focused on other things. What can we uh, learn about this idea of, from what Paul is trying to teach specifically about focusing on the positives, focusing on the good to combat the evil? You know, for me, it really comes back to again and again, um, seeking the spirit, uh, and if you are the kind of person with whom the Spirit can dwell, uh, then, you, then, then, then you can be assured that, first of all, God accepts you. There's a way to come to love who you are. If God loves you, who are you not to love yourself? And so it builds, fills you with confidence and also helps you to know how to act, how to reach out to others, how to be mindful of things. Um, to me, it's about putting myself in this place where I ask myself, have I done the things to have the Spirit with me? Do I feel it here? If not, how can I change what I'm thinking about? If I do, how do I move forward? And it's usually simple things that the Spirit mm -hmm. inspires us to do, small, simple, easy things. Well, thank you both for sharing uh, your thoughts and experiences on our second topic about principles of true discipleship. And for the audience, thank you so much for being here with us today and for sharing with us your experiences and your spirit. And for those at home, we still have much to cover from these passages in Romans with Jennifer and Matthew in footnotes coming up next. The Spirit communicates to me through thoughts and feelings. When I hear people talk, then I hear what, um, maybe, maybe not the words that are coming out of their mouth, but what the Spirit wants me to hear from what they're explaining. The Spirit communicates with me in a variety of ways, usually very gently and very affirmatively. I rarely feel the Lord's rebuke, though I have felt it before. Usually I feel the Lord's love, and that love is often a reminder of ways I need to be more deserving of that love. For me, it's very rare that I'll hear some kind of voice in my mind or something like that. It's more of just a, a thought uh, to do something or a feeling uh, that I should do something in a certain way. Um, a lot of times it comes in my scripture study. Uh, I actually stopped marking my scriptures and started writing things in a notebook. And I found that I learn a lot more when I study my scriptures by writing down those thoughts and feelings that come to me. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about Romans chapters seven through 16 with Jennifer and Matthew. 
Okay, so I'm going to be a little bit selfish here, and, uh, and I'm going to ask if we can start in a specific spot that I find interesting. And since I have two brilliant scholars, I'm going to take advantage. <laughs> okay, so I want to start in Romans chapter 7, because I had a question about uh, something that I saw um, that connects with the Book of Mormon. So in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, and we get this declaration of, oh, wretched, oh, wretched man that I am. And immediately, I'm sure you can think of the, the similarities with 2 Nephi chapter 4, um, where Nephi exclaims, oh, wretched man that I am. Um, and then he gets into this discussion, both of them, of the flesh, because of the flesh. And I just wanted to ask out of curiosity, um, is there any connection with this declaration of, oh, wretched man that I am? And, and then moving into this discussion of uh, the flesh and kind of this carnally minded uh, discussion we had earlier. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think one place we want to be sure not to go is where some of the early Christians went, is to take flesh too literally, um, to see the body as intrinsically sinful. Okay. So I think with Paul, and, and I think... Um, Nephi as well, that what they're struggling against isn't being embodied, but is is more when we talk about the natural man, that I, I want to be good, but I don't always live up to mm -hmm. what I know I should do. And so I think it's just a it's a universal human struggle to be the person we want to be, and we we let ourselves down and we we fall short. And the question is, how do we get away? Because we get trapped. And we this is, this is the, oh, wretched man. And I was like, I'm trapped. And I'm doing it again. I'm doing it okay. again. I'm doing it again. And that frustration. The English professor in me loves <laughs> verse 15. <laughs> because it gets, it's Paul, I mean, in the King James English, at yeah. least. It's, it's the verse kind of ties itself in knots, which is <laughs> illustrative of the problem Paul is describing, right? He says here, uh, Romans 7, 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not, but what I hate, that do I. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's, it's classic. It's a, it's a great illustration of the problem of, 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 of sinful behavior. It's not a function only of a single sin here or there, but a disposition that's hard to shake. Um, it, not necessarily fleshly, as Jennifer points out, but it could be habits that we have or mm -hmm. inclinations that we have or why am I so judgmental or, or why do I get angry so often mm -hmm. or why am, was I not thoughtful toward this person here when they were trying to say something and my attention was diverted elsewhere, whatever it may be. And so that there is a sense of feeling tied in knots. There is a sense of wretchedness. Like, why can't I get over this? Why do I keep doing this? Or to quote my daughters, why are you like this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay, so uh, with that, uh, we kind of get this, and Nephi does a great job at this, where he makes this declaration, and then it turns into this, this beautiful, um, uh, poetic, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I know in whom I have trusted. Yes, yes. He turns to right. the Lord. Absolutely. Right. And, and if we're not careful, sometimes I think we, when we end a chapter of study, it ends, like if you ended chapter seven, because of the chapter heading of chapter eight, you really missed out on a lot because this is where the, the beautiful uh, writings of Paul really manifest in chapter eight, which I'd love to jump into now and just learn from you both on, on what Paul is, is saying and teaching in this chapter. And I've, I've thought and tried for many years to, to help this come alive for students. And one of the challenge, if we focus too much on the early Christian context, and the law of Moses, and they're trying to get away from the law of Moses, it's so far away from our experience that it, it, 
it's hard to make it real for us. And there's actually, going back to the Book of Mormon, there's a passage in Lehi's teaching that I think we think about the law. What does the law mean? Will help us understand how Christ is the solution. So in, in 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 5, yea, by the temporal law, they were cut off, and also by the spiritual law, they perish from that which is good and become miserable forever. This is life without Christ. The just knowing good from evil will never get us to where we want to be. We need a redeemer. We need a covenant relationship. We need the gift of the Holy Ghost. We need power beyond our own power to overcome this condition of not being godly. And this is exactly where he's Paul's transitioning from seven to eight, where he talks about there's, there's hope and there's life, that we're not stuck, we can be forgiven. And that's like where he starts with about forgiveness, I think. There's no condemnation. So when we repent and we feel that, that cleansing, peace, we, we know there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there's hope that the past is gone. And then verse four offers the way forward, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. So how do we do what we know we should be doing? It's having him with us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So that, that, that covenant relationship that gives us access to, whether it's a gift of the Holy Ghost from our baptism and confirmation, or then that additional spiritual power from the endowment, the ability to change our heart comes from these spiritual gifts. And when we walk after the spirit, when we invite that power into our lives, there's a a force that like lifts us beyond the trap. It's a long going process, but each time there's that force that's going to come to lift us and to help change our hearts as we repent and as we look to the Savior. I love that. There's a friend of mine who's not a Latter-day Saint, but she's a very good Christian, uh, even a, a theologian and a professor at another university. And the way she puts it is that uh, there's something about uh, Christ's sacrifice and our connection to Christ that liberates us from concerns about our own fallenness. Yes, we're fallen, which is to say we're imperfect, which is to say we do things that we don't want to do sometimes, and we're on a long, great migration toward a better version of ourselves. In the meantime, we make mistakes, but Christ's sacrifice relieves us of the burden of worrying about that constantly. And I, I love these verses in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 31 and 32. Uh, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, mm -hmm. who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It's, it's just wonderfully liberating oh. and powerful. And you see how the faith in Christ leads to hope. That's right. That we we can keep moving forward and that we are going to we are going to be given the power and the help through Christ to, to make changes and to grow, and that the past isn't counted against us because he took that, and now we're free to move forward and to focus, to look ahead and not be weighed down by guilt and shame, and we can never get past, we can't go back, we don't have to. You know, I think about this, um, this journey, you know, of discipleship that we're all on, and it varies and sometimes even in the, in the right direction. And I love this idea of spiritually surviving versus spiritually thriving mm -hmm. and thriving along that path. And I would love to hear some of your thoughts on, on as we listen to some of these teachings from Paul to the Romans, how do we get to that point where 
we're not just content staying on that path, rather owning it and just really getting into it and thriving along that pathway to uh, of discipleship. I love it. So in the class I teach on literature and spiritual experience, we read some scholarship about spiritual experience. And people who studied it have made some interesting observations about what happens to the brain. When people report feeling spiritual experiences and their brains are kind of hooked up to these wires. It's fascinating. People under the influence of the spirit will report that their thoughts clarify at the same time as their emotions deepen. Uh, their memories become more acute, they pick up more things, and their imaginations expand. But spiritual experience is really the mind on full operation. And that, I think, is a great way of thinking about thriving. You know, spiritual thriving is almost redundant, you know, in the yeah. sense that if one has a spirit with one, if one has the third member of the Godhead with one, how I mean, we're thriving the best we possibly can in these bodies that Be we have. in his presence. Exactly yeah. right, yeah. And I, to me, um, spiritual surviving is what I think about when I think about you're doing what you need to do to stay on the track, but you're not really living into your privileges okay. as a member of the church, as someone who can seek and can find the Spirit, who can be connected to the Spirit through Christ. Uh, spiritual thriving is to be conscious and aware uh, that you have the Spirit with you, and in all the ways that manifests itself, deepens your patience, your compassion, your ability to sit in traffic on a hot day, <laughs> you know, for example. <laughs> President Uchtdorf, uh, if you remember, he gave a talk about uh, a man who took a, a, yes. a, a journey and uh, he was living uh, below, what, his what's privileges. the term? Below his, his privileges. privileges. You know, he had, it was right there in front of him. The whole banquet, he could have gone and could've freely gone. eaten morning, noon, and night, and instead he ate his, his little rice and beans or crackers and yeah, can of beans in his stateroom and finally realized at the very end, the very last day, <laughs> it was free and it was available. Oh, and man. I think as members of the church to realize that if we are willing to receive the gifts that are being given, because when we're given the Holy Ghost, we, the, the command is receive, and we decide if we receive. And so choosing to receive, choosing to partake, I think it's choosing to accept the gift where Christ says, I'm come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Mm -hmm. And so when we make those choices, we're partaking of the fruit of the tree. We're, we're, we're enjoying what has been offered to us and not just looking and saying, oh, that's really pretty. No, we're really, we're letting it into ourselves and that changes the experience of life. So chapter eight has just so much goodness and richness. Uh, are there other verses that we wanna explore while we're here? I think, look, the end of the, 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 of the chapter is really magnificent. And um, uh, the last two verses, chapter eight, verses 38 and 39, I think this really kind of attests to what it means to be uh, joint heirs with Christ, bonded to Christ, you know, what that means for us spiritually as a result of that. He's, Paul writes, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is such a profound promise that irrespective of life circumstances, 
which can become at times really, really difficult, really rugged, that even in the worst experiences that we have as mortals, we're not separated from Christ ever. And if we can manage to sort of maintain some, some presence of the Spirit uh, in our lives, it reminds us of that fact, which is always a testament to brighter days ahead. And it's also assistance in the moment to get through what's most difficult and feel the strength and the capacity to be able both to deal with what's difficult and to learn and grow from it. And I think that's tied to the promise that we have just a few verses earlier where, where Paul gives this witness, we know that all things work together for good. And sometimes we, we think, okay, it means everything's going to be good, and that is not what it says. Right. Uh, I think all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And again, thinking about Lehi, I think he, he frames this really well when he speaks to Jacob, and he says, again in chapter 2, Thou knowest the greatness of God, he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. So the things working together for good doesn't mean that people are necessarily even doing good things to us or for us, um, but that things can be consecrated. And I've seen that in family members who I, I pray over and over again, please don't let this happen to them. Please let, and then the, the problems don't go away, but, but I look back through the years about all these problems I wish hadn't happened, but yet the person is so much better on the, the end of them because of the choice of, of continuing faithful through the trials. And so I would have taken the trials away, but the Lord allowed the experiences to, to refine. And I think that's part of what this working together for good is, and is that when we feel, and through the Holy Ghost, it's the only way we can feel that, that, that we're not, that we're not separated from the love of God, that whatever we go through, we're kind of internally fireproof that that we are we're we're not going to die even though whatever around us may feel like this is I can't do it but but there's a power and a force through that the love of God to to endure. So Matt, you have some uh, some notes uh, yeah. in front of you. I, I love. <laughs> I'm curious. Um, I'm having so so much fun uh, being with the both of you right now. And so I'm excited to see what else you can teach us uh, based off of what we've been studying so far today. Well, in chapter 10, um, a famous passage, we've heard mm -hmm. it before, it's verses 14 through 17. Uh, Paul asks this, these questions, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath we to report? So then, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I love that idea that faith cometh by hearing. It suggests that faith comes as we begin to sort of, I think, feel the effects or the presence of the gospel message and the Spirit testifying to its truthfulness to us. Faith comes by that. There's a, a poet named Christian Wyman who writes something, he kind of inverts a well-known idea, but he, he's kind of being playful about it. He says that nobody ever believed in God without first perceiving God. And his point is we can believe in an abstract. But to believe in a way that's vital 
and that, you know, that kind of directs our lives and that has faith behind it is usually a function of hearing the word of God, a feeling the Spirit testify to us that it's true. And it's to say that but then as you feel that uh, and as you do feel that witness born to you, suddenly uh, your mind is opened to the message of the gospel and what was wretchedness like in chapter 7 mm -hmm. becomes joy in chapters 8 forward. And that, that, tra that transformation, and I think uh, as you described that, I thought of, about the way Alma tells his story in Alma 36, and it is that yeah. moment where he's heard it his whole life, but at that moment it becomes real to him because he chooses to to look, and um, we get a little bit of this this wretched man. I mean, seriously wretched um, because he's being <laughs> harrowed up by the memory of his many sins, and he's. Rem but at that time, he's remembering having heard, and I think this is the he's heard it before, but something somehow now it's more real for him, and because it's real for him, it, I don't know which comes first, whether he because he's choosing to do something about it becomes real or it he's getting a spiritual witness that he chooses to act on. But it, in any case, something that he he must have heard countless times is now becoming the, the entire focus of his reality. I remember also having heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, a son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. Now, as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. Who am in the gall of bitterness and have been circled about by the everlasting chains of death. And when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. So that he's living, he's he's the 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 thought um opens up the experience. And he he is now in the presence. I mean, literally, he's feeling like he's in the presence of God. He's gone from that that remembering the love of God and feeling the love of God. Um it wasn't just an idea, but it's it, it, the perception. He experienced that that liberation, that freedom, that redemption, and and that his whole reality changed through that. And so I think the more we can ponder and, and because the, the Holy Ghost, one of his primary roles is to bear witness of Christ. And so the more we remember Christ, I think that we're inviting that witness and then the life that this quality of life that comes through living that witness and experiencing that witness, keeping that alive, I think is, is like keeping partaking of the fruit of the tree. The more we partake, the safer we are because there, nothing else matters when you're there, the tree truly partaking. And the Lord can work through our weaknesses. Exactly. We don't, not, to make, we we don't need to be perfect. No, we don't. That's exactly where we are. <laughs> That's exactly right. Reminds me quickly of a story that told to me recently. So in my neighborhood, there's a hospital, uh, LDS Hospital uh, up in Salt Lake City. And um, uh, at the hospital, there's a branch. People at, at the branch, members of the branch, mm -hmm. members of church who were in the hospital can go to the branch meeting on a Sunday or the sacrament brought to their room. And people who serve in the hospital branch will often be asked to give blessings to people who want request a blessing. Well, one day this man was requested to give a blessing to a woman who was on a certain floor in a room and he got someone from the branch. They went together to administer to her. Uh, they got to the room and the room number written down incorrectly. Mm -hmm. They go into the room and who's there but President Hinckley? <laughs> They said, oh, President, we're so sorry. We, it must be the wrong room on here. He said, no problem. Who are you to here to see? And they told her, told him the, the name of the person they were here to see. And he said, okay, well, when you go see her, tell her that I'll be praying for her as well. 
So they found the right room number. They go to the, pl- the room and they said, we're here to give you a blessing. Oh, and by the way, the prophet <laughs> is praying for you. You know, which is a classic case of the Lord knowing exactly where they were yeah. going and they, in their own mortal way, didn't know where they were going, but the Lord guided them to give an especially important message to someone at a very vulnerable stage in life. So Matt, I'd love to know what has, what was the genesis of this journey, this path of studying the Spirit for you? I appreciate that. You know, um, several years ago, I was invited by my department to teach a seminar on any subject. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'm finishing one research project. I'll teach on that. It's on literature and mathematics. <laughs> the students are grateful I didn't teach on that. <laughs> and then I thought, then I thought, you know, I don't, I don't want to teach that class. That doesn't really seem right to me. And I thought, well, I've got some of the projects. It's new. I can, I can teach it on that. And I thought, no, that's not the right thing either. Then it was like, well, what's kind of going on in the humanities? What's trendy? What's hot? What's cool? And I thought, no, no, no. And I was at a crisis, actually. I thought, I've got, I, I, what do I want I to do? <laughs> Who, what am I going to write about or, or teach on? You know, what do I care about? And then that question suddenly, I thought, what do I care about? And I thought, and I paused, and I said, what if I started with the question, what matters to me? And could I build a course around that in literature? What matters to me? When I thought about that, I thought, what matters to me is my relationship with God. So what if I taught a course about that? And I thought, well, how would I do that? And I began doing research. So I put together a proposal, accepted it a year later, I taught the class. But the research I did from that was just so mind and spirit opening. It, um, it was the kind of thing that you study and you just feel uplifted for doing. And I am just so drawn to this subject. It's my favorite subject, really, in the gospel. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. And, and Jennifer, once again, you've shown that your dedication to staying on that path, it, it's contagious and, and it's been felt here. So thank you so much for just being who you are and, and Matt as well. This has been an amazing, wonderful experience for myself, and I'm sure for all those uh, watching at home. And thank you for joining us for this discussion from Romans chapters 7 through 16. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions that you've received. For more, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Next week, we begin our studies of 1 Corinthians, where we'll discuss unity, revelation, and more. Thanks for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.